0: weekly podcast of Science and the City, the public gateway to the New York Academy of Sciences, online at scienceandthecity.org. Today is Friday, December 4th, 2009. I'm Alana Ranke. We all know that there can be some pretty extreme weather in New York. Take the heat waves in the summer or the freak dumps of snow in the winter. Some of these funky swings are likely because of our changing climate, something that has the potential to affect everyday life in New York City. On Wednesday, the New York City Panel on Climate Change released their first report here at the Academy. In it, they talk about what this city can expect when it comes to climate change, what it will mean for the five boroughs, and how we can adapt some of our current policies to help protect us in the future. Today I talked to three experts from the NPCC about what a warming planet means for the Big Apple.
1: So, I've got some news for you, Science in the City listeners. Size does matter, especially when we're talking nanoscale. On December 7th, join Science in the City for the final event in our Provocative Thinkers in Science series, an exploration into the itty-bitty, tiny world of nanoscience with photographer Felice Frankel and nanotechnology engineer George Whitesides. They've got a new book out called No Small Matter, and they'll talk about the beauty, the science, the benefits, and the risks that come with the micro scale. Get your tickets online at nyas.org slash provocative thinkers.
0: All right, so we're going to start off with a flashback to August 8, 2007, very early in the morning. It was raining hard. Later, the media called it a torrential downpour. It was a Wednesday, and by the time dawn broke, the rain had stopped and most New Yorkers had left their homes for work, except few of us ever got there. The early morning rain had been so heavy, fast, and unexpected that it flooded the MTA subway system, affecting every single subway line in the city. By late afternoon, the water was well on its way to being pumped out of the subway system, and things resumed as usual. But what if it had kept raining that day? Violent and extreme weather like that storm in August 07 is an example of a storm that might be related to climate change, something that has potential to have a big impact on a city like New York, and something that isn't going away anytime soon. So, the city of New York created a plan.
2: I'm Adam Freed, the Deputy Director of Mayor Bloomberg's Office of Long-Term Planning and Sustainability and the Chair of the New York City Climate Change Adaptation Task Force. In uh, New York City, the Mayor introduced Plan YC, which is our comprehensive sustainability plan to make the city a, a greener, more sustainable city. It uh, has 127 initiatives, a majority of which focus on mitigation and how can we reduce our greenhouse gas output with the overall goal of reducing our output 30% by the year 2030. And that's even as our population grows by about a million people. Within the plan, though, there are a number of initiatives related to climate change adaptation and trying to build our resilience to climate change and into the existing climate we face today.
0: And one of those is the New York City Panel on Climate Change, created by the mayor in the summer of 2008. Here's one of the panel's co-chairs.
1: I'm Cynthia Rosenzweig. I'm a research scientist and head of the Climate Impacts Group at NASA Goddard Institute for Space Studies, which is co-located with the Columbia University Earth Institute. NPCC stands for New York City Panel on Climate Change. It's a group of scientists and researchers and experts who all focus on different aspects of climate change. We have climate scientists, we have adaptation specialists. We also have experts from the insurance industry, from the legal field, from risk management consulting firm, because all these types of expertise need to come together to advise the city on climate change.
0: The NPCC's first report, which was unveiled Wednesday at the New York Academy of Sciences, addresses a couple main issues. The first is what kind of climate change can we expect in New York City? This wasn't easy to figure out, and as I'm sure you know, climate change data is constantly changing and forever disputed by skeptics. But the NPCC had this in mind when they collected their data. Here's Cynthia.
1: What we did in the Climate Risk Information Workbook is we developed projections that are specific to the New York City region. And we took all the global climate models from around the world, a whole bunch of them, about 18 of them, and we looked to see what they were projecting for New York City. And so when we give the projections, there's always a range. It's not exactly, we don't know exactly, like we don't know if it's going to rain next week. We certainly don't know exactly in the 2050s what the climate will be. But what we do show and project and, and have provided to the New York City Adaptation Task Force is a set of projections. So here's what some of them show. First of all, the issue is often called global warming because there it will be hotter up to five degrees by the 2050s, and then looking even further up to even four to seven and a half degrees by the 2080s. While that's important, just that it's warmer in general, what people really react to are heat waves. And so we also look at the heat waves, and they are very likely to become more frequent, more intense, and longer in duration.
0: Okay, but for those of us who are forever dreaming of the beach, is that actually a problem? Definitely, says Adam.
2: We can withstand one or two and, and sometimes even three days of temperatures continuously over 90 degrees. Usually it's on that third or fourth day that the infrastructure starts to uh, have impacts, where you start seeing power failures, where you start seeing sagging in cables, where you might see some kinking in railroad tracks and Amtrak and others need to put in speed restrictions on their trains. Uh, and if the projections, uh, you know, as they show us, we're going to have more of those 90-degree days by the end of the century, potentially a fourfold increase in those continuously together. Mm -hmm. And that has real impacts both on our infrastructure and then on public health. And we've certainly seen in London and in Paris and throughout Europe and even in Chicago and the U.S., the impact that can have on on morbidity and mortality. New York, we haven't had that. We have a a very extensive uh, public health response and emergency management response to heat waves, but we're very, very concerned about what that can mean both for infrastructure and public health if this happens and making sure we're planning for it in the future.
0: The second prediction the report makes about New York City's climate might inspire you to upgrade from your classic $5 New York City street umbrella. What the projections are actually showing is that it will
1: probably get wetter. It's more uncertain. It's harder for the models to predict rainfall and precipitation. There will likely be less snow, of course, with warmer winters. And there's still the potential for both... More floods, because it looks like we're going to get more precipitation as we march through the coming decades. There's also the potential for more droughts as well because of the higher temperatures. So what we see in what we call the hydrological cycle is more variability, more intense, extreme events.
0: Finally, New York City is surrounded by water which means we're affected by coastal storms and hurricanes, and that will definitely be among the first to feel the effects of sea level rise. Sea level rise is
1: projected to increase everywhere globally and here in New York City as well. Now, we already have sea level rise in New York City based on our geological situation, north of us is rebounding still from the glacial period and we are actually sinking uh, in response to that uh, that hinge effect but in our projections of sea level rise with climate change for the city we do it two ways it really stems from the discussion of uncertainty because we use the climate models to project and that gives about 2 feet of sea level rise by the 2080s, but because we are keeping a very close eye on the melting in on the Greenland ice sheets and the West Antarctic ice sheets, that rapid melting led the IPCC to create another set of sea level rise projections as well, which we call the rapid ice melt scenario. In that one, we project up to four feet of sea level rise near the end of this century.
0: Cynthia is talking about what some scientists are calling a tipping point, a change in our climate that would be rapid, irreversible, and devastating. Like all of the glaciers suddenly melting, which would cause the ocean levels to rise quickly and significantly. To sum up, we'd be too late. The NPCC, as well as other climate monitoring groups, aren't sure if we'll ever experience a tipping point, but no one is suggesting that we wait to find out. And that's where the second part of the NPCC's report comes in. The panel focused on how New York City can adapt to absorb some of the climate change happening and also, hopefully, help slow it down.
3: My name is Bill Selecki. I'm the director of the CUNY Institute for Sustainable Cities. I'm also a professor of geography at Hunter College. And a lot of my work focuses on uh, environmental change in cities, particularly climate change. This particular effort signals a sort of, I see as as kind of a change or or a maturation of how we look at climate change. It's not something that is going to appear on our radar screen and then disappear. It is here, and it's going to be here for, for the foreseeable future throughout this century. And, you know, the idea of living with climate change and sort of making it an everyday kind of part of our decision frame And what we've tried to do in this work is to sort of illustrate ways in which the city and other entities, such as private companies, can do that.
0: So how does a city prepare for a possible tipping point? Or even just prepare for a flash flood? Actually, says Bill, New York City has lots of practice rebuilding infrastructure after a bout of bad luck. And our history has taught us a few lessons in preparedness.
3: Yeah, you know, The city, a century or more ago, was wrought with fires. There was limited water supply system, and the city was becoming quite dense in population, and there were fires frequently. But the city literally was rebuilt with respect to fire codes, uh, water supply, and other kinds of things that provided a lot of fire suppression, or even the issue of uh, water supply itself. If you go back into the city's history in the early 19th century, there were chronic shortages of water, and it meant a a huge challenge to the city and everyday experience. The city resolved that that issue. But I would say that there are significant challenges, and I think there's a couple of ways to look at it. One is the exacerbation of existing climate risks that occur every year, like a heat wave. But then you also want to look at these sort of low-probability, high-consequence events that result from things like uh, potential increases of, of sea level rise it really demands kind of a reasoned look at the existing administrative structure of the city. I mean, the city is quite robust with with respect to codes and regulations and standards. And one of the things we've tried to do is to sort of look at that kind of uh, legal or um, kind of administrative infrastructure, if you will, and to see how those could be adjusted to make uh, the city more resilient to climate change. So there are a lot of tools already available to the city.
0: Okay, like what? Some solutions, says Bill, are so basic that they might not even occur to you.
3: Some of them are fantastically simple and straightforward in terms of adjustments to... Intense rain events. I mean, the city has put forward a a stormwater management initiative, and one of the objectives within that was to clean the grates on the streets. And you know, those kinds of things make a huge difference. If there's one that's clogged, those kinds of grates have certain capacities to remove X amount of water off the city streets. But if there is some, you know, blockage, that that could compromise that particular site and others are more complicated like changing grades and, and you know which would be done over the capital cycle period of, of when uh, roads are being repaired or upgraded.
0: The NPCC hopes that their report will get the right groups thinking about the realities of climate change. For instance, after the flash flood in 2007, the NPCC partnered up with the MTA. Together, they looked at the climate data to see if they could find any trends, and they brainstormed ways to make each subway station more resilient to similar floods in the future. In lots of ways, I've come to think of New York City as unlike any other city in the world. But Bill says that actually were just like any other big city.
3: New York is no longer as much of a a unique entity. I mean, there are many large cities of this size and scale, and increasingly, uh, you know, more join those ranks. Many of them are in developing countries, as you're probably aware. And the difference that New York has is that it has two you know, significant advantages to other large cities. One, it has sort of a historical record and, and information and, and established infrastructure that it can work from in terms of uh, building a more resilient city. And the other thing is it has a tremendous amount of uh, human resource capital, where I mean with a lot of studies have already been done looking at you know what different size cities and you know larger cities because of their size of government structure you know are going to have experts and going to have you know folks who are you know not only committed but also you know have long kind of institutional memories with respect to some of these issues and these are the kinds of experiences that you really need.
0: Although not a lot of specifics are known about climate change and some predictions sound scary Adam is optimistic.
3: I would disagree about
2: the grimness of it. I I think we face some very serious risks, and and some of which are potentially very large and impactful. But, uh, you know, as Cynthia mentioned, the sea level rise is a long-term risk, and and what we've done—and this is not the first effort in the city, it's been going back 10 years—of looking at what climate change means. Uh, New York City Department of Environmental Protection started a process in 2004, so we have time to do the planning process and figure out what investments make sense. But we are losing time to do that if we don't begin that process now.
0: The NPCC's full report will be available mid-January, when it's published as a volume of the Annals of the New York Academy of Sciences. You'll be able to find it online at www.nyas.org. For Science in the City, I'm Elena Rangi. Thanks for listening this week. Science in the City is a nonprofit program of the New York Academy of Sciences. We need your continued support to keep bringing you this weekly podcast series as well as the rest of our Science in the City program, like our upcoming Girls' Night Out event series and our website. For more information on Academy membership or to support Science in the City today, log on to scienceandthecity.org. As always, we'd love your feedback on any of the programs we run here at Science in the City. Send us an email at scienceandthecity@nyas.org. at nyas.org. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 212-298-8654. See you next week.